what is going on with my microphone lately? It's like switches are off. Welcome everyone to the Tory Says Show. Today is the 16th of October, 2020. And boy, did the 15th through the 17th start off with a bang. It was pretty cray cray yesterday. Um, <laughs> pull the plug and restart it with America First Values. Uh, seems like uh, uh, that came to fruition uh, pretty, pretty, pretty on point. Um Today, I want us to go over uh, a few things that the president said uh, during the town hall. And then I want to introduce you to I've been talking about hacking your reality, brain hacking. Right. Uh, because if you start to see your DNA as uh, uh, something that is uh, software, then it all makes sense. And I thought that I could uh, kind of bring in a more taboo topic. A lot of people have been asking me about it. Um, and I thought that today would be a great day to do that. So to start the show, what I wanted to do was start off with the uh, town hall that our president had uh, with NBC and um, Guthrie, who was like a drunk, angry aunt and forgetting that she was interviewing the president of the United States. Um, it was uh, it was pretty interesting. But the president also said some really interesting things. So we have to listen to all of it because there's a lot, a lot. I uh, listen. Last night I was, you know, doing work, right? I was working and I was listening to it in the background because I listened to things, uh, you know, a few times. And he said something. And I was like, wait a minute. What? And it was what? So. On that note, we're going to start off listening to what he said, because a lot of us are more in, more focused on, oh, my gosh, what a what a bitch. She's just like so rude. She's asking all these questions. But you missed what the president was saying while she was doing those questions because we were so pissed. So on that note, we're going to start that uh, so we can see it. Uh, and well, listen to it. For those of you listening just on the podcast, it's equally the same. It is uh, quite telling. I mean, I'm telling you, the I had to listen to that specific portion, which is not for a little while. I had to listen to it for a few times because I was like, wait a minute, what do you say? So uh, take a listen and let's enjoy. And I'll stop at the appropriate moments so that way we can kind of revisit state and tonight the president will be taking questions from voters here in Miami but we should mention our socially distanced and they're wearing masks and, and and I should say this audience looks a bit like America it's divided some here voted for the president in 2016 and plan to again some support Joe Biden and some say they are truly undecided we're gonna get a mix of questions on a range of topics and we're gonna get to those questions in a moment but first with all that ado Welcome, Mr. President, and thank you for being that here. That was very well stated, I have to say. Good job. Thank you. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're well. We send our best to the First Lady and thank to you. Barron. Thank you. Do you have any remaining symptoms from COVID? Nothing whatsoever. I'm great. I feel good. I uh, was in North Carolina today and did a big uh, rally with tremendous turnout. And I uh, just feel really good. Florida, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so it does this a little bit. I don't know why. Hold on. I think it's commercial. A bit different, a little bit uh, perhaps infected. 
and uh, infected you know, with. I don't know. I mean, I didn't do too much asking. I, I really felt good. I didn't have much of a problem with the lungs. I did have a little bit of a temperature. Obviously, I felt there was something missing. And then I tested, you know, I tested positive. Well, let's and, talk about testing because sure. there's a little bit of a, I guess, confusion about this. And I think we can clear it up. Yeah, and there shouldn't your, be. Your first positive test was Thursday, October 1st. Okay. Mm-hmm. When was your last negative test? When did you last remember having a negative test? Well, I test quite a bit. And I can tell you that before the debate, which I thought it was a very good debate, and I felt fantastically. I, I, was, I had no problem before. Did you test the day afterwards. of the debate? I don't know. I don't even remember. I test all the time. But I, I can tell you this. Uh, after the debate, like I guess a day or so, I think it was Thursday evening, maybe even late Thursday evening, uh, I tested positive. That's when I first found out. Well, about back it. to the debate, because the debate commission's rules, it was the honor system, would yeah. be that you would come with a negative test. You say you don't know if you got a test on the day of the debate? I had no problem. Again, the doctors do it. I don't ask them. I, I test all the time. And they, Did you take a test, though, you, on the day you, of the debate? You know, if you ask the doctor, they'll give you a perfect answer. But yeah. they take a test, and I leave, and I go about so my you, business. So did you take a test on the day of the debate, I guess, uh, is the I bottom line? I probably did, and I took a test the day before and the day before, and I was always in great shape, and I was in great shape for the debate. And it was only after the debate, like a period of time after the debate, that I said, that's interesting. And they took a test and a tested person. So just to button it up, do you take a test every single day? No, no, but I take a lot of tests. Okay. And you don't know if you took a test the day of the debate? Uh, uh, possibly I did, possibly I didn't. But you know, the doctor is very accurate information. And it's not only that doctor, it's many doctors. The so one thing, as you're, if you're president, you have a lot of doctors you're surrounded by. Uh, but I was in great shape for the debate. And sometime after the debate, I tested positive. Let's talk about... That's when they decided to let's go. Okay, good. I, I, I hopefully provided some clarity for folks. Let's talk about the event that was held at the White House on the Saturday before you tested positive. Yeah. Subsequent to that, 13 people connected to that event tested positive. There was an outdoor reception. You've seen the pictures. There was an indoor reception. People yeah. were not wearing masks. My question to you is, at this point in the pandemic, knowing what we know, shouldn't you have known better? Shouldn't the White House know better than to hold an event like that? Well, they do a lot of testing in the White House. They test everybody, including me, but they test everybody. And something happened. But as far as the mask is concerned, I'm good with masks. I'm okay with masks. I tell people wear masks. But just the other day, they came out with a statement that 85% of the people that wear masks catch it. So that's what I heard. And that's what I saw. And regardless, but everybody's tested and they're tested often. And I also knew that, hey, I'm president. I have to see people. I can't be in a basement. I can't be in a room. I can't be. I have to be out. You can see and people with a mask know, though, right? I can, but people with masks are catching it all the time. I mean, if you look at the governor of Virginia, he was known for a mask. If you look at Tom Tillis, a great guy, he always had a mask and they caught it. Well, there are pictures of Tom Tillis actually with one of um, Judge Barrett's kids not wearing a mask. But, you know, Chris Christie, he was part of your debate prep. Yeah. He was, I believe, at that event. He came out tonight. He was sick, very sick. He was in the hospital for about a yes, week. I know he that. came out tonight and said, I was wrong not to wear a mask. Well, I mean, he has to say that. I think it's great. He's a friend of mine. He's a good guy. And uh, wrong or not wrong. You have to understand, as president, I can't be locked in a room someplace for the next year and just stay and do nothing. And every time I go into a crowd, uh, I was with uh, the parents of our fallen heroes. 
these people are the most incredible people. And they came up to me and they would hug me and they would touch me. And I'm not going to not let them do it. Now, to there be was an with event you. with the Gold Star family exactly the day right. after the Supreme a Court event. A Gold Star event with the most incredible people you've ever seen. And I could have chosen not to talk to them or to keep everybody away. And you know what? As, and I don't think that's probably where it was caught, but maybe it well, was. Well, I was going to say, you bring it up. You brought it up yourself. I mean, are you trying to suggest that? Do you believe a grieving military family gave you COVID? No, I don't know where it came from. Okay. And you don't know where it came from. And the doctors don't know where it came from. Mm -hmm. But as the president, I have to be out there. I also know. Well, there's no one that says you can't be out there, but it's just about wearing masks and having, for example, your rallies. Know this. Your rallies as don't require example, masks. No, no. I mean, let's see Kamala. She's got people now that. People have it, and I'm not blaming her. I'm not saying, oh, she did a terrible thing. As president, I have to be out there. I can't be in a basement. I can't be locked in a very beautiful room someplace in the White House. And I want to see the Gold Star families, and I want to see everybody. And I also say to people all the time, it's risky doing it. It is risky doing but it. But as it's president, you, you're right. You don't want to, you want to be a leader. But you also are a leader and a setter of an example. And if you're not wearing a mask when your administration is saying best practice right now is wear a mask, no, it's not foolproof. But many but people are catching it. Many people are getting this disease that was sent to us by China and it shouldn't have been allowed to happen. But many people are getting this. And I mean, nobody's being blamed. Everybody is working hard to get this thing out of our country, get it out of the world. Look at what's going on in Europe. Massive spikes. They've done a very good job. But now you take a look today at the UK. You take a look at Spain and France and Italy. There's tremendous spikes. But our death rate is worse than, well, not Spain, but those well, other I have, countries. I have things right here that will tell you exactly the opposite. <laughs> Me too. So the UK is up 2,500% because I knew you'd be doing this. I know you very well. The UK is up 2,500%. The EU is up 722%. And the United States is down 21%. But we have, per, our deaths per capita is among the highest, excess among mortality, Excess mortality, we're a winner on the excess mortality. And what we've done has been amazing. And we have done an amazing job. And it's rounding the corner. And we have the vaccines coming. And we have the therapies coming. And I'll tell you what, one thing, when I got it, I had a choice to do nothing or use some of the things that we're looking at, like in this case, Regeneron yeah. and Eli Lilly makes something that's supposed to be incredible. And I think that maybe I wouldn't be doing this discussion with you right now. We have therapies now and cures. Maybe you can use the word cure, but we have therapies that are absolutely incredible. But I want to pick up on something you just said. You said we're rounding the corner. I believe now, we're rounding the corner. Now, 10 percent of the country approximately has had COVID. That means 80, 90 percent, 90 percent, let's do the math, is, is still vulnerable. Right, right. There's right. been some talk, including from the White House lately, that perhaps it approves of what's called herd immunity. That's where you basically just let young people and everybody get sick. You try to protect the old people and those who are sick, and hopefully it gets up to a certain level, and yeah. now we're all immune. Yeah. So let's just be clear about it. It also means more deaths. Do you support herd immunity as a strategy? Essentially, just let so, people get sick. The cure cannot be worse than the problem itself. We did the right thing. We were expected to lose 2,200,000 people and maybe more than that. We're at 210,000 people. One person is too much. It should have never happened because of China. It happened because of China. And you have to get that and understand that. But it shouldn't have happened. But we were expected to lose. If you look at the original charts from original doctors who are respected by everybody, 
two million two hundred thousand people. That two people. million figure, though, is if you we literally two did million nothing. People. The two million figure is if you did absolutely nothing, it would be two million. If the we, question is, if should, the did, death, should the deaths be better than two hundred thousand when relative to the rest let, of the world we have a worse happening. death rate? I left North Carolina, which I love. I left Pennsylvania. We won a big case in Michigan because that governor has a lockdown where nobody but her husband can do anything. He can go boating and do whatever he wants, but nobody else can. The fact is we're winning all these cases because it's unconstitutional what they're doing. And I think they're doing it for political reasons. But the fact is the cure, you can't you can't let this continue to go on with the lockdowns. Well, most and I believe states, that on November yeah. 4th, you're going to have a lot of these governors. Look at what's happening to New York. New York is a mess. They lost almost 40,000 people. They have a lockdown like you've never seen. Now they're open. It's like a ghost town. Let's get, people, let's get to the end. And, and so it's very important. People are leaving New York by the thousands. And you could have a hard time ever building it up again. Let's so to, so yeah. that cure, that so-called cure that you talk about, it can't be worse than the problem. The problem is a bad problem. We've got more questions on COVID, okay. so let's drop it for now. We were supposed to, as mentioned, be watching you on a debate stage right now. We're not doing that, so let's clear up a few things from the last one. You were asked point blank to denounce white supremacy. In the moment, you didn't. You asked some follow-up questions. Who specifically? A couple of days later, on a different show, oh, you, you, you denounced white supremacy. No, you My question to you is, You've done this to why me does and everybody. it seem like... I denounce white supremacy. Okay, okay this weekend, I'm going to try on Sunday after church to literally put together how many times from 2016 he's denounced white supremacy. Because this is ridiculous. They're trying to get sound bites, and it's disgusting. Okay. You did I've two denounced days later. white supremacy for years, but you always do it. You always start off with a well, question. You didn't ask Joe Biden whether or not he denounces Antifa. I watched him on the same basic show with Lester Holt, and he was asking questions like Biden was a child. Well, well so th this so is a little bit of a dodge. Are you, wait, are you listening? I denounce white supremacy. Okay. What's your next question? Do you feel it feels sometimes you're hesitant to do so? Like you hesitant. wait a bit. Here we go again. Every time, in fact, my people came, I'm sure they'll ask you the white supremacy question. I denounce white supremacy. Okay. And frankly, you want to know something? I denounce Antifa and I denounce these people on the left that are burning down our cities that are run by Democrats who don't right, know what they're doing. While we're denouncing, let me ask you about QAnon. It is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring and that it's a theory that the Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring. Now, first of all, who the heck did her makeup? That's number one. She looks crazy. Her eyeshadow. I mean, seriously, I'm just saying as a woman, like, you know, I get really upset when I look extra round or, you know, I don't wear a lot of makeup anyway, but I just wear lipstick. But who did this? And listen to the question. The QAnon is claiming that the that they're they're a satanic pedophile ring. I'm going to start all over again. You didn't ask Joe Biden whether or not he denounces Antifa. I watched him on the same basic show with Lester Holt, and he was asking questions like Biden was a child. Well, well so th this so is a little bit of a dodge. Are you, wait, are you listening? I denounce white supremacy. Okay. What's your next question? Do you feel, it feels sometimes you're hesitant to do so, like you hesitant. wait a bit. Here we go again. 
every time, in fact, my people came, I'm sure they'll ask you the white supremacy question. I denounce white supremacy. Okay. And frankly, you want to know something? I denounce Antifa and I denounce these people on the left that are burning down our cities that are run by Democrats who don't right, know what they're doing. While we're denouncing, let me ask you about QAnon. It is this theory that uh, Democrats are a satanic pedophile ring and that you are the savior of that. Now, can you just once and for all state that that is completely not true? <laughs> so disavow QAnon yeah. in its entirety? I know nothing about QAnon. I just told I you. I know very little. You told me, but what you tell me doesn't necessarily make it fact. I there you go. I just told you what it is. Yeah, just because you said so doesn't mean it's true. So stop. I hate to say that. I know nothing about it. I do know they are very much against uh, pedophilia. They fight it very hard, but I know nothing about they believe it. it is if a you'd satanic like me to run by the deep study state. the subject, I'll tell you what I do know about. I know about Antifa and I know about the radical left and I know how violent they are and how vicious they are. And I know how they're burning down cities run by Democrats, not run Republican by Republicans. Republican Senator Ben Sass said, quote, QAnon is nuts and real leaders call conspiracy theories conspiracy theories. He may be Why right. not just say it's crazy and not true? He may be right. I just don't know about QAnon. You do know. I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Oh, gosh. So, yeah, she's right. You do know because his, his lips paralyze. That's like a towel when someone's like, I'm not going to tell you. Um, that was really good. Oh, no. You Let me ask me you another thing. It. Let's waste the whole show. Uh, you start off with white supremacy. I denounce it. You start off with something else. Let's go. Keep asking me these questions. Okay. I but, do have one let, more. Let me, just, let me just tell you what I do hear about it is they are very strongly against pedophilia. And I agree with that. I mean, I do agree okay. with that. And I agree but with it. But there's not a satanic uh, pedophile. I have no idea. I know you don't know that? that? Okay. No, I don't know you that. You just and this and neither week. do you know that. Okay. Ooh, there you go. There's now satanic pedophile. No, I don't know that. I don't. And neither do you. Uh, so that was badass. She was trying to say, you got to tell the world that there's no such thing as a satanic pedophile cult. And he was like, well, I don't know that. And I don't know that. She's like, yeah, you do know that. He's like, no, I don't. And you don't either. So uh, that was boom. And neither do you know that. So stop. Oh my gosh, that was so good. Wait, it gets better. Just this week, why, you why aren't you asking me about Antifa? Why aren't you asking me about just, the radical you, left? You're why aren't you asking Joe Biden questions about why doesn't he condemn Antifa? Why does he say it doesn't exist? Because you're Antifa, here before me. No, geez, nah, that's so cute. Antifa exists. They're vicious, they're violent, they kill people, and they're burning down our cities. And they happen to be radical left. Just this week, you retweeted to Right. So she's going to ignore it. At least he had to say, guys, this chick in the back that looks, so, her hair looks so good, and she should wear boat, you know, cut shirts all the time. You see with the red mask, she's just sitting there nodding away and thumping her fist. I want to be her friend your 87 million followers, a conspiracy theory that Joe Biden orchestrated to have SEAL Team 6, the Navy SEAL Team 6, killed to cover up the, the fake death of bin Laden. Now, why would you send a lot like that to your followers? It. You Can retweeted That was a retweet. That was a, an opinion of somebody. But and that was a retweet. I'll put it out there. People can decide for themselves. I don't, get that. You're I don't the take president. a position. You're not like someone's crazy uncle who no, can no, just retweet no, no. whatever. That was a 
She's the crazy drunk aunt, though, that has been tweeting about Russia hoax for the past three years as if it's dogma. I retweet and I do a lot of retweets. And frankly, because the media is so fake and so corrupt, if I didn't have social media, I don't call it Twitter. I call it social media. I wouldn't be able to get the word out. And the word, well, the word is, is and you know what the word is? The word is very simple. We're building our country stronger and better than it's ever been before. Let's and that's what's happening. And everybody knows it. Okay, we you know got a bunch of questions is? for you. We're winning in a lot of states. Okay. We're winning in a lot of states. You're Let me that. ask. Okay, I'm glad you brought up the election because I do want to ask about that. That's another kind of leftover item. A lot of people have asked you, will you accept a peaceful transfer of power? You have said repeatedly, the only way we lose this election is if it is rigged. Now, that is simply not true. The fact is, it totally is true. Guys, have you seen the crowds for Biden? Yep. Have you seen the crowds for Trump? Yep. So, yes, it is absolutely true. No one in their right mind would put their vote to Biden, especially when he decided yesterday to say that eight-year-olds can decide if they want to be boys and girls. Eight-year-olds eat their own snot. Eight-year-olds get grumpy because they don't know that they need a nap. Eight-year-olds are struggling with their times tables, but they should be able to have a choice and that will impact the rest of their life because they decide they want to be a boy and a girl. Think about it. At eight years old, you probably thought you were Superman or you wanted to be a firefighter or you wanted to work as a cashier at Walmart because you found that fascinating. So maybe we should just have eight-year-olds make their career decisions at eight. That looks great. Yeah, I'm totally doing that. I'm going to be a gar garbage collector. I'm going to be... Um, you know, a cashier, I'm going to be a jewelry lady, I'm going to just comb horses' tails for a living. We should just let them do that. That's what the left is going to vote for? No, they're not. The left, the actual Democrats, the reasonable Democrats can't vote for Biden. The hate for Trump is over because first he shut down China. What a racist. Thank God he shut down China because then we all would have gotten sick. But back and forth, back and forth, as if Joe Biden has any chance to win. Either candidate can lose fair and square without sure ballot fraud. And, and so you will you what? accept the results of the lose, election? That's the way I want it to be. But when I see thousands of ballots, right, unsolicited ballots being given out by the millions and thousands of them are dumped in dumpsters and when you see ballots with the name Trump military ballots from our great military and they're dumped in Garbage cans. That is handful. We could go all night, which we won't. No, but no, we could go all night, day. one by one, a single case, a single day. You're talking about 150 million votes. Your own FBI director says there is no evidence of widespread oh, really? fraud. Well, then he's not doing a very good job. All you have to do is pick up the papers every day. 50,000 in Ohio, the great state of Ohio. 50,000 uh, in another location, I think North Carolina. 500,000 applications in Virginia. No, no. There's a tremendous problem. But let me just tell you, they talk about the peaceful transfer, right? They spied on my campaign and they got caught and they spied heavily on my campaign and they tried to take down a duly elected sitting president. And then they talk about, will you accept a peaceful transfer? And the answer is, yes, I will. But I want it to be an honest election. And so does everybody else. When I see thousands of ballots dumped in a garbage can and they happen to have my name on it, I'm not happy okay, about that. But just those are cases. I mean, there is no there is, in fact, no evidence of widespread fraud. And you were sowing doubt. No evidence, no evidence in every single state. Almost we've seen elect.
electoral fraud, period. Yet she says there's no evidence. Where do you find no evidence? So Utah that just came up today, not evidence. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, North Dakota, all of that wrong ballots or Ohio. N none of that. That's not evidence. I mean, what is evidence to her? What is evidence to her? Think about it. Oh, and by the way, I still, I'm going to check my mail again today. I still haven't received my USPS return sign stub yet. So I'm talking with the post office today when I go and drop off some cards. Mm -hmm. About our democracy. You, how, how our democracy. How can you say that? You do read newspapers. Do. You do watch the news. Yes, I know you read the I news, do. but you watch it. I do. Because every day they're talking about ballots that are corrupt, that are fraudulent. And millions that are, are sure. being processed right sure. now. Sure, but you can win a race. Take a look at me. You can win a race by 1%. But why are you laying the groundwork for that right now? It's I'm like not, if I, I go play tennis with my husband and I say my ankle's hurting you know right now. I don't want that to happen. Okay. Savannah, I want it to be clean. Okay. I really feel we're going to win. But I want this to be clean. Let's get but it's sort of ironic that you and them talk about the peaceful transfer when I spent three and a half years fighting off these maniacs. And now it turns out everything's there, that they were the ones that dealt with Russia. And it's too bad. Yeah. But okay. peaceful transfer, I absolutely want that. But ideally, I don't want to transfer because I want to win. Yes, and I think that your words will probably reassure some folks. Let's get to our first voter. We've got Jacqueline Lugo. Now, she is, I told you, this, this audience is truly split between y'all. You are leaning Biden. She voted for Clinton in 2016. She's registered as an independent. Jacqueline, what's your question for the president? And you hold the mic up close and take off your mic because it's hard sure. to hear out here. Good evening. How are you? Uh, welcome to Miami. Thank you very much. It's beautiful. <laughs> Mr. President, if you knew COVID-19, as you told Bob Woodward in February. As, as what? As you told Bob Woodward in February was airborne and deadlier than the flu. Why did you only put in place a travel ban from China and not put in place other measures mitigating the spread of COVID-19? potentially saving tens of thousands of American lives. Well, I did put it in very early, as you know. Uh, Joe Biden was two months behind me, and he called me xenophobic and racist and everything else because I put it in. And it turned out that I was 100 percent right. I also put it on Europe very early because I saw there was a lot of infection in Europe. And it's sort of an amazing question. And I appreciate the question and respect the question. But the news doesn't get out the right answer because I put on a travel ban far earlier than Dr. Fauci thought it was necessary, who I like, far earlier than the scientists. I was actually the only one that wanted to put it on, and I did it actually against the advice of a lot of people, including Nancy Pelosi, who had no clue what she was doing, and Biden. When I put on the travel ban, you know, I put it on in January, the end of January. When I put on the travel ban, Joe Biden and, and others said, this is ridiculous, you don't do that. Well. Dr. Fauci said I saved thousands and thousands of lives. Did you I was early. I was extremely early when I put on the travel ban. Can I ask you, did your national security advisor on January 28th in the Oval Office warn you that this would be the greatest national security risk of your administration? No, he didn't, you, no, he he didn't, didn't. say it or you I, don't I remember? It, I read it someplace. Maybe Woodward said it or something. But no, he did not say that. But I knew it was a big threat. At the same time, I don't want to panic this country. I don't want to go out and say everybody's going to die. Everybody's Isn't going to die. Isn't there a middle ground? You don't no, have to mislead, but you can. No, no. 
No, there's not a middle ground. You have to be safe, you have to be vigilant, and you have to be smart. You're going to like this next couple of voters. Right, it's a mom and a daughter. Good. Mom, Barbara, voted for you in 2016. She's leaning to vote for you again. Now, her daughter was too young to vote last time. She's going to vote for her first time in a presidential campaign, and she is leaning Biden. So imagine the dinner table at their we'll house, okay? So, Barbara, why don't you go first and, and ask your question? Bienvenido a Miami. Thank you. Mr. Trump, as a frontline ER doctor working through the coronavirus pandemic, I know firsthand and I've seen that many hospitals throughout the United States are suffering uh, financial hardships. These uh, economic effects are trickling down to the frontline workers. We are being, uh, across the country, frontline workers are being fired, they're being furloughed, our salaries are being cut. And this is also happening in other economic sectors as well, including the travel industry and hospitality. My question to you is, how are you going to get the United States back on track, both in terms of the economy and the pandemic? So it's happening. We just set a record, 11.4 million jobs. We are going to have a phenomenal third quarter, which will be announced on November 1st, just prior to the big November 3rd day, where I think you're going to see a red wave. But we're going to have a tremendous announcement, I believe. I mean, we're going to find out. But GDP is going through the roof. Jobs, uh, real estate, houses, so many things are happening. So people were saying we're going to have a 42 percent unemployment. Look, this was a thing that came into our country and it happened 100, more than 100 years ago. And it happened now. They were talking about a 42% unemployment Who rate. Who was talking it about came that? Out, I it heard just 20%. came out at 7.8% unemployment, and people can't even believe it. Our economy is going to be next year, if we don't have somebody that raises taxes and quadruples taxes, which uh, they want to do and kills everything, our economy is going to be phenomenal next year. We're going to have a phenomenal. And, and I'll tell you, Savannah, we had the greatest economy in the history of our country last year including the state of Florida, where we are now, and Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, and Ohio, every place. We had the greatest economy we ever had. We had to close it down. We saved two million lives. We're opening it up. We have a V-shape, and it's coming back. It's coming back very fast. One other thing, we really helped the hospitals. We've sent billions and billions of dollars to the hospitals. In addition, hundreds of millions of masks and gowns, and we went into the ventilator business because this country was not equipped with ventilators and I'm not blaming anybody for it, but we're now making thousands of ventilators a month and we have all we can use. We're sending them all over the world because the world needs them. So they've worked very hard and really very, very effectively. Thank you. Great question. Let's talk to Isabella and put the mic close to your mouth. Okay, go ahead. Mr. President, my parents are, as you heard, both frontline healthcare workers, and I've seen the physical and the mental tolls that this pandemic has taken on them firsthand, as well as the exacerbation of coronavirus due to Americans who are not wearing masks or participating in social distancing. After contracting COVID-19 yourself, has your opinion changed on the importance of mask wearing? No, because I was okay with the masks. I was good with it, but I've heard many different stories on masks. I mean, I had, you know, being president, you have people, they bring meals, they bring this. And I had an instance recently where a very wonderful person is bringing me a meal and he's playing with his mask and he's touching his mask all over the place. And then he's bringing a plate in and I'm saying, well, I don't know if that's so good. I mean, the good news, I didn't eat it. Okay, I did. I decided not to eat it. This was a month ago. But I look, look, you have on the masks, you know, you have two stories. You have a story where they want a story where they don't want. I am all for it. I don't get that because it's just all of your public health officials, your administration, they're in unison about this. They're all in unison about it. 
the you, University of Washington, which is a, a study, is a, a they have a model that your coronavirus task force relies on, says that if everyone wore a mask, you could cut expected deaths in half. And then- so this is a town hall. She is supposed to be asking questions. Instead, she is debating the president. 60,000 lives. Well, what does that Scott mean? Atkins, if you look at Scott, Dr. Scott, he's from great guys, Stanford. He will tell you he's that he's not he an infectious disease you. expert. Oh, no, I don't know. Look, he's an expert. He's one of the great experts of the world. But I don't get it because you have so much power and influence as president. I'm you could go it. to your, you could By require way, it at your rallies. And you could say, everyone put on a mask right now. The University of Washington says Savannah, you could save lives. University of Washington. Then you have other places say different things. You have a lot. Of, hey, Dr. Fauci said, don't wear a mask, right? At first, but then everybody agreed. Well, I don't know that he no. changed his mind. But then you have a report coming out two days ago that 85% of the people wearing masks. I looked at that it. report. It's not about mask wearing. It was neutral Savannah, on the question Savannah, of masks. We're on the same side. I say wear the mask. I'm okay. fine with it. Okay. I have no problem. We're on the same side. Let's take a break. We're going to get more questions right after this. Hold on. Let's um get to the next part. Voter. Now, Christy, a before the question goes, I just want to remind everyone what an America Joe Biden, you know, provides and what Trump is versus Biden. Because Donald Trump adds fuel to every fire. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry and violence. It has no place in America. Because he won't stand up to any form of violence. To anyone who acted criminally in this weekend's racist violence, you will be held fully accountable. Antifa's an idea. Those who spread violence in the name of bigotry strike at the very core of America. He's got no problem with right-wing militia, white supremacists, and vigilantes with assault weapons. But many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists, okay? And I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists because they should be condemned totally. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. Antifa's an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not malicious. So there he is. <laughs> There's no link. I have that video myself, so I can't share a link to that. But having said that, you remember how we were saying that they're going to be packing the courts? Mm-hmm. Well, here it is, the admittance that they will be packing the court. Here we go. Hold on. Mm. Right now, it looks like they're going to have a vote around Halloween. So if they vote on it That's before the election... Day. If they vote out before the election, you are open to expanding the court? I'm open to considering what happens from that point on. Well, right now, it looks like they're going to have a vote around Halloween. So if they vote on it before the election, if they vote out before the election, you are open to expanding the court? I'm open to considering what happens from that point on. Did he say that's an appropriate day? To hold the vote. Did you guys hear that? Or was it me that heard it? Um, uh, Don, Don Jr. actually tweeted that out. But did did he say that? Did you guys hear that? I, I want to just play that again because that was a little bit weird that he said that. Well, right now, it looks like they're going to have a vote around Halloween. So if they vote on it That's before the election. Day. That's an appropriate day. 
Ugh, barf. Did he really say that? Okay. So let's get back. Um, <laughs> wow. That is, um, wow. Damn. Excuse me. <sighs> okay. <laughs> wow. Just wow. Alonzo, come on out, Christy. She is leaning slightly towards you, she says. She yes. voted for you in 2016. Christy, you ready? Take the mask off, hold the mic close, and let's hear your question. Thank you for your service, Mr. Thank President. You. Thank you very much. Um, we're a hardworking, middle-class family of four. My husband and I are both self-employed, and we have to get our own individual health care. As you know, health care costs have gone up considerably over the decades and you had originally said you were going to repeal and replace obamacare what is your plan now in 2020 to make health care costs affordable for americans like Good. myself so we got rid of the individual mandate on obamacare which was the worst part of obamacare and now you could actually say it's not obamacare because that's how big it was where you had to pay a fortune for the privilege of not having to pay for bad health insurance so we got rid of that that was a big big thing and by doing that, and we will always have, by the way, we're always protecting people with pre-existing conditions, and I can't say that more strongly, but we've been able to bring health care costs way down. Now, I took over Obamacare, got rid of the individual mandate, made it good, managed it much better. Remember, they had the $5 billion uh, website disaster and all of the problems they had. The problem with Obamacare, it's not good. We'd like to terminate it, and we want a much less expensive health care that's a much better health care, and that's where we're aiming. And if we can do that, and we have a very good chance of doing it, but we've also brought down the price of Obamacare. Problem with Obamacare, it basically is never going to be great, and I want to give great health care. Mr. So President, important. I got to follow you very much. on the pre-existing conditions. This is such a big issue for voters. It is a big issue for me, too. In point of fact, your administration is about to go to the Supreme Court to argue to That's throw right. out the rest of Obamacare, which includes the protections for pre-existing right. conditions. That's right. So your administration is in court right now trying to get rid of that protection. In order to replace it with a much better health care at a much lower price and Always, under all circumstances, we are going to protect the Republicans. And I mean, maybe I changed the party a lot over the last three years, but we will protect people with pre-existing conditions. And Savannah, what I want to do, get rid of the terrible Obamacare. I've already done it to a large extent because, as you know, the, the individual mandate is gone. That was the worst part. You've repealed, but you haven't replaced. Now, you've been no, in, in office no. almost four years. What we you, have had, done. you had both houses of Congress, Senate and, and House in Republican hands, right. and there is not a replacement yet. That's right. I'm yeah, that's right, because not all Republicans are actually conservatives. Uh, should we spell it out? She's such a tool. Sorry, but if you look, we had both houses, and what did we do? We got rid of the individual mandate. But that the, went but through the, the legislature. was repeal and replace. Look, look, we should be on the same side. I want it very simple. I'm going to put it very simple. We would like to terminate it and we would like to replace it with something that's much less expensive and much better. We will always protect people with pre-existing conditions. But if you're successful and in court thing, if in November, those pre-existing conditions, that promise succeed, will be gone. If we don't succeed, we are running the remnants of whatever's left because we took it apart. We are running the remnants of whatever is left much better than the previous administration, which ran it very badly. But we'd like to have... New health care, 
much better and much less expensive. Let me get to question number five, and you'll like this. He's stuck in traffic. His name is Joe White. He is registered as a Democrat. He says he's leaning uh, toward Biden and, and Biden and voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. And his question was, a second stimulus payment has been broadly agreed upon by the Republicans and Democrats, and yet now we're in October and it's still not passed. Why not use your office to make the second stimulus payment a separate targeted emergency relief package to help Americans weather the pandemic? Well, we've actually passed three packages, but when we're on our fourth, and I agree with him 100%. He should vote for me. The problem you have is Nancy Pelosi. She couldn't care less about the worker. She couldn't care less about our people. And we should have a stimulus. And I want a stimulus. The Republicans will approve a stimulus. The problem is she doesn't want to do it because she think it's, thinks it's bad for her election. The, tr the fact is she's wrong because people know she's in our way. She's not approving it. She doesn't appreciate our people and she doesn't approve, appreciate it all our workers. Nancy Pelosi, we are ready to sign and pass stimulus, but People she's got to do approve. not love the back and forth of Washington, but this has been a roller coaster. What a clown she is. Oh, my gosh. I should have put some clown music every time she speaks or some evil nefarious crap with that bad eye makeup. But bottom line is Nancy Pelosi doesn't have a bill that she's happy with. She wants to put her pork in it. She wants to give money to her friends, to her lobbies. You know, they want to siphon money. And she wants to help the blue states that are currently under criminal scope for killing their elderly, right? She wants to give them bailouts. No bailouts. No, no, no. It's just give them some Trump bucks. Back in early October, you one day tweeted, no more negotiations until election until after election day i'm walking away then i think the next couple of days you said maybe we can do something targeted sure. then you said i want a big big bill but then senate republicans said no we're not for that so you Doesn't are the matter. big deal maker That's how come right. this is so how, right. you yourself did have changed you positions a, did you ever hear of a word called negotiation we're negotiating okay but people are negotiating people's lives are hanging you in the balance what? And you know who I'm negotiating against? Nancy Pelosi, because she doesn't want to give the money. We should have stimulus. This was not our people's fault. This was China's fault. And she's penalizing our people. I'm ready to sign a big, beautiful stimulus. You saw the other day, I say, go big or go home, right? That's what I'm I want it about. to be big. I want it to be bold. I want the money go to directly Are to the Are Republicans with you? They're going to go big they'll for go. big yeah, old they'll number? Go. They'll go. They're going to be okay, very happy. So far, they have not I said know, they because would. Because I haven't asked them to, because I can't get through Nancy Pelosi. Okay. If Let's Nancy Pelosi and I, through my representatives or directly, I don't care, if we agree to something, the Republicans will agree to it. Okay. Our next question comes from, oh, this is interesting. She voted for Clinton in 2016, but recently changed her registration from Democrat to Independent. She says she's truly undecided. Her name's Becky Lightman. Hello, Becky. What's your question? How are you? I'm great. How are you? Nice to see you. Thank Good you. Good to see you. So corporate tax rates are a hot button issue and you have cut corporate tax rates and your opponent Joe Biden is planning to raise them. Right. A lot of Americans think that corporations don't pay their share of taxes and want to see those tax rates increase. Right. What do you say to those Americans to maybe tell them why you want the corporate tax rate lower and why that helps them? It's a great question. We've created more jobs than this country has ever created. We're up to 160 million jobs. We were never even close to that number. 
We were just hitting 160 million jobs. Companies are pouring into our nation because of the tax rate. And if Biden comes in and raises taxes on everybody, including middle income taxes, which he wants to do, you will blow this thing and you'll end up with a depression, the likes of which you've never had. That's what's going to happen. We have something that's really good. The reason we're coming back so strong is because we built a very strong foundation. Companies are moving in. Car companies are moving into Michigan and to Ohio and to South Carolina and North Carolina today. So what's happening is they're coming in because we reduce the taxes. Our taxes, our corporate taxes were the highest in the world. And now they're among the lower taxes. They're not the lowest, but they're among the lowest. And what that means is jobs. But also we're doing a very big and we've done a very big middle income tax package. So if we get in, we're going to do the middle income tax package. But it's a great question. And if he comes along and raises rates, all those companies that are coming in, they will leave the U.S. so fast your head will spin. Okay, let me explain this to you guys, because he speaks to you from a perspective of a businessman and he gives like the the more, you know, um, macro spec. I'm going to get really detailed so you understand what he's talking about. For those of you that are listening and are on the fence and, you know, still believe that oh, cutting taxes for the big companies is bad. Let me let me tell you something. So I had flirted with the idea to run for mayor to expose a money laundering scam in the city of Minot that had to do with NAS. We're talking like millions of dollars. Anyway, so my the, the problem that that city had was that nobody was doing business there. And the only people that would do business are friends of, you know, whoever's on the city council and stuff like that. And that had to change. So the only way that you can attract business, okay, just so you understand, is uh, to create the foundations for businesses to come. So, for example, let's pretend I'm Walmart, right? And I want to, you know, people are like, oh, we need a Walmart here because there's not another one for another hundred miles. And or, you know, we need another one so we can just, you know, dominate and people come to us for groceries, whatever it may be. When I'm Walmart, I'm going to build a big piece of structure, right? It's going to be a big building and I'm going to have to pay for it. I'm going to create a warehouse. I'm going to, you know, kit it out. I'm going to bring 500 jobs to your city. I'm building this. And if you're taxing me for the building, taxing me for the land, taxing me for doing business, taxing me for this income, taxing me for that, I'm going to be like, fuck that. I'm going to go to like, I don't know, Oregon, where this is why it's Forest Valley, where they created for, you know, the tech companies like Intel, like uh, Netflix and Yahoo. They all went there. Uh, you know, Nike's there. Why? Because they created these massive campuses through a shit ton of money in the city there. And they built and built knowing that they will not be taxed on the property because they have brought so many jobs. That would be the handoff. So when we're as a nation, regulating people to, to, to their eyeballs. Oh, well, you know, if you're going to open up the structure, there's 20 million regulations you have to do. And then I don't know if the city or the state will give you tax relief, but you're going to pay taxes on this and that and this and the value of the building for this, you know, at least give them some, you know, 
lenience, right? Because they're creating these jobs. The more jobs they make, the more tax cut they should get. And the more they're bringing to your city, state, or nation. So if we give them tax cuts, they're able to build and create more businesses. In essence, give us money and create more jobs. I hope that explains it to you so you can understand what it means. Because for some reason, people keep thinking, oh, dear, you know, all these rich, fat cats are going to make more money. And it's like, dude, the, they're going to be able to invest more and create more businesses if they have less regulation, less taxes. Why do you think they moved to Mexico? Or how's this? Why do they have, you know, call centers in Costa Rica? Because they don't have anything to do. They pay just property tax. They don't have to pay taxes and have all these crazy regulations for their employees. They don't have to have 20 bathrooms because they have, you know, um, what is it? They don't have to have um, so many bathrooms because they have so many employees. They're not micromanaged. So it costs them less to have it there. Do you see what I'm saying? Insurance, regulations, all of this. We need to bring it down so we can build up our city. No one's going to invest somewhere where they're going to be raped. It's no point. It's going to cost them more to open up a business. So why do it? That's the way it is. This is how we, uh, you know, come across McDonald's automated vending cashiers, right? You want $15 wage? Well, we don't need the person then. You can't let that happen. On the subject Thank of you. taxes, as you know, the New York Times has obtained, it says, years of your tax returns, among other things, it says that you have debts of approximately $421 million that you have personally yeah. guaranteed and that will come due in the next four years. The question is, on behalf of voters, who do you owe $421 million okay, first to? Of all, let me answer. What they did is illegal, number one. Also, the numbers are all wrong with the numbers they released. And just so you understand, when you have a lot of real estate, I have real estate, you know a lot of it, okay? Right down the road, Doral, big stuff, great stuff. I'm very under, when I decided to run, I'm very under levered, fortunately, but I'm very under levered. I have a very, very small percentage of debt compared, in fact, some of it I did as favors to institutions that wanted to loan me money. $400 million compared to the assets that I have, all of these great properties all over the world, and frankly, the Bank of America building in San Francisco. I don't love what's happening to San Francisco. Well, do I hear you right? It sounds like you're saying $400 million biggest, isn't that much. One of the biggest office buildings. But are you, are, you, are you confirming that, yes, you do owe some $400 million? What I'm saying is that it's a tiny percentage of my net worth. That sounds and like, you'll yes. see that soon because we're doing things, you know, We've given, I think it's 108 or 112 pages of financial detail to elections. And, you know, we have to file as, as the president, as any politician, you have to file. Nobody ever looks at that. When they do, they see how incredible a company well, is. But more importantly, they see where this debt is. No, I don't know Russia money. I don't know. I owe a very, very small it's called mortgages. Yeah. People have a house. Any put a foreign mortgage. bank, any foreign entity? Not that I know of, but I will probably, because it's so easy to solve. And if you'd like to do, I will let you know who, who I owe, whatever small amount of money. I want to say two things. Number one, it's a very small amount of money. Number two, it's very straight. It's very, very straight. But it's a tiny percentage of the worth. 
did you ever hear the expression under levered? Yeah. I am extremely under levered. Well, here's the thing. You clear this up tonight by just releasing your tax returns yourself. I mean, I, that's well, what I'll 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 I want to I think people are just wondering. As you know, you're I'm the only. It turned out that I am yes, under levered. They IRS actually. Excuse me. No, no. But you the IRS says that doesn't stop but you from you releasing. You accused me of not being under audit previously, not and so did not. other people at NBC. And I am under audit. You so are. that was solved. That's good. I am under audit. No person in their right mind would release prior to working out the deal with the IRS. And I'll go a step further. I'm treated very badly by the IRS. They treat me very, very badly. You have people in there from previous administrations. They treat me very badly. But we're under audit. It's very routine in many ways, but we're under audit. They like to change the game, change the rules, do everything. You saw what they did with the Tea Party people. You saw what they did with the religious But to be group. clear, there is no law or rule that, that prohibits you from releasing your tax no, returns. except common sense and intelligence and having lawyers that say, because I would love to release them, and as soon as we come to a conclusion, I will release them, and very gladly. But if you go to elections... And if you take a look, you'll see 112. I think it's 112. It talks about the income, which is rather massive. It talks about all of the properties. They have them listed. You can never learn more. But you know what happened? People went there. All the reporters went. There was like a feeding frenzy. This was originally when I filed it. And I filed it every year. I update it every year. My son is here. They run the company. I don't run the company. You it know? also says that you, you paid $750 you, in taxes in the, the, the year you were elected. Yeah, is that true or not? That's a statutory number. It's a statutory. But it's is not that, that true? I think it's a filing number. You pay $750. It's a filing or filing fee. Most people here probably no, pay more. No, I don't know. I, I can tell you this. If they have my tax returns, as you know, they have to go to jail. It's illegal. But their numbers were wrong. But let me tell you what else. So what they did was illegal, first of all. Second of all, 750 that he says, first of all, if he only paid 750 in taxes, damn, I want his accountant. Now, the IRS is dirty because he has mentioned this before. So I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. So after I was um, outed by this Turnmeyer chick of being inefficient in 2014, every year since then, I have been audited by the IRS. I have not seen a tax return ever since then. They will use the IRS to come after you like nobody's business. They will come at you with everything they have. Now, the 750 he's talking about is, um, is what he has to pay as a placeholder while they work things out. So um, a lot of people don't know that. So for example, for me, since I was always an independent contractor, I would pay, uh, you know, um, so my quarters, my quarters, oh, well, I don't even have to pay it because the income tax is now waived. <laughs> but normally, if I haven't calculated it, I would pay $250 every quarter to it and then do my taxes and they would tell me how much I owe, right? Um, so that's usually how it's done. So at the end of the year, I would have paid $1,000 in federal income tax. And then, you know, they're going to come at me and tell me whatever when they decide. So that's basically what he's referring to. Obviously, being an, uh, a big corporation, he does it differently. But he keeps saying that if they have my tax returns, it's illegal. Again, remember, 
Whose wife was at the treasury? That's right. It was Raskin's wife. Who else was at the treasury? Uh, you know, Priya was at the treasury. Who else was all over the treasury and sending emails about emails and other stuff? Strzok was sending emails to the treasury. So you have to remember the IRS comes back again and again and again and again, and it comes to punish you. They flag you. Hey, this person is causing trouble or we don't like them. Go after them. Go after them. So they can put you in a, in a knot. Like, why would you audit someone that made less than 40,000 in one year? I'm just saying, why would you audit them? Why would you audit someone that made less than 40,000 a year? Why would you audit someone that filed an income of 60,000 a year? Why? Oh, because they can. It's called marking you. There's a list of targeted individuals. And the way they target you is very different. They can target you on all ends, you know, unleash, you know, gang stalking, IRS audits. You have no idea. There is a list, a very big list. Uh, I don't owe money to any of these sinister people. This has been going on for years now. Russia, Russia, Russia. It turned out to be a hoax. And it turned out to be that Hillary Clinton and the Democrats were dealing with Russia, not me. It's a whole hoax. So I would not mind at all saying who it is, but it's a very small. When you look at vast properties like I have, and they're big and they're beautiful and they're well located. When you look at that, the amount of money, $400 million is a peanut. It's extremely under levered and it's levered with normal banks. Not a big deal. All right, let's take a break. We'll get more voter questions right after this. Wow, right? So uh, let us take a break. Um, just quickly, uh, from this, just quickly, uh, so we can go get our coffee done and, um, kind of think about, imagine, just, just look at what our president is going through. Like this chick hates him so much that she's debating him. He's answering the questions to the people and she is coming at him with more questions or more, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, commentary. It's disgusting. It is incredibly disgusting. And I don't know how, uh, how this woman is even employed anymore. Seriously. How is she even employed? It's ridiculous what she's doing. It's just disgusting. I'm appalled. All right. So we're going to go for a break and I will see you in a bit. Welcome back, everyone. So I hope you got your coffee. Because right after we finish up with this, as you're listening to what the president had to tell the world since, you know, they flipped the rules on the, hey, 
we're not going to have debates because Joe Biden can't do it. So we're just going to use coronavirus as an excuse. And since you're unwilling to do stuff virtually where we can deep fake the crap out of it, um, we're going to have Guthrie come at you viciously and debate you for all of us. Um, after that, we're going to talk about reality hacking, brain hacking, and some other stuff that'll take you down a rabbit hole. So I hope you're ready for it because this is a, a rabbit hole I know a lot of you have fallen into and it's not so much a rabbit hole. I mean... Can you believe that 60 Minutes actually talked about it? <laughs> yep. All right, let's fast forward this to... Critical to act in that manner. There we go. Let's go back. Another voter, Adam Shooker. He voted for Clinton in 2016. He's registered as a Democrat and says he's supporting Biden. Adam, take it away. Thank you, Savannah. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Adam. What Four a years tool. ago, Senate leadership said it was inappropriate to push through a nominee in an election year. Yet they fast-tracked your nominee for the Supreme Court just today. Uh, the question I have for you is, how do you, what do you say to the voter that thinks it's hypocritical to act in that manner and that they can't trust Republicans' word? So when I was elected and when a president is elected, they're elected for a period of four years. And Justice Ginsburg said it best, I think talking about President Obama having to do with somebody else, that the president is put there for four years, not for three years. So during this fourth year, it happened to come up, unfortunately, because I had great respect for Justice Ginsburg, but a vacancy happened to come up and we picked somebody that's outstanding. She has been an absolute star and I'm extremely proud of it. But again, plenty of time. I mean, there's plenty of time. We're going to do it before the election, but we also have much time after the election, but there's no reason to wait because it's almost unanimous, it seems to me, certainly within the Republican Party and frankly, most of the Democrats within closed rooms. I guarantee you that this is an outstanding person and I'm using my fourth term. And, and you know, if you look at it and if you put the shoe on the other foot, if they had this, they would do it 100%. So there's been 29 times when this has happened, all 29 times a president has done exactly what I've done. Can I just, I, to, to the voter's point, I'll just say that in 2016, you were on a, another show, actually another morning show, and you were asked whether President Obama should nominate a Supreme Court Justice Merrick Garland. And you said, I think the Senate should wait until the next president and let the president pick. Now, that was eight months before the election. Yeah. This is three weeks so, before the election. Respect, by so you, you have changed your position on this. I have a lot of respect for Judge Garland. I want to tell you that. But I'll tell you, the, the whole ball game changed. When I saw the way they treated Justice Kavanaugh, I have never seen any human being, and I'm not just talking about Supreme Court, I have never seen a human being treated so badly with false accusations and everything else. I have never seen anything like it. And you know what? The truth is, Savannah, like it or not, the ball game changed a lot. There has never been anybody treated so badly as now Justice Kavanaugh. You've mentioned uh, that you would like to see Amy Coney Barrett confirmed to the Supreme Court in case any challenges come up in connection with the election. Yeah. Do you expect her to rule for you? I think she'll have to make that decision. I don't think she has any conflict at all. You know, a Supreme Court judge does not have, I mean, they can make their own decision. Uh, the, the, and they actually have additional power to make that decision. Uh, it would be totally up to her. 
I would think that she would be able to rule for me or against me. I don't see any conflict whatsoever. We have an election coming up. I think it's the most important election in the history of our country. If for any chance, and it probably won't, and I hope it doesn't ever get to the Supreme Court. But if it did, I would think that she would rule one way or the other. I would think so. But for you, you think she would rule for you? I have no idea. I mean, of course she'll rule one way or the other. But Believe it or not, I never asked her about it. I never talked about it. I didn't talk about any of the obvious things that you could talk about. And I think a lot of people in my position might. But in speaking to a lot of very brilliant people and people that do this for a living, they say it's better not to talk. So I talked to her about life. I talked to her about the fact, would you like to do this? Are you willing to do this? Because it's a tremendous burden. The answer was yes. She's unbelievably well qualified, but I never spoke to her about these various questions. Let's get our next voter. She's leaning to you, Mr. President. She voted for you in 2016. She is a registered Republican. Her name is Mariah Green. Mariah, what's your question? Thank you very much. Thank you. Good evening, Mr. President. I'm honored to be with you here tonight, uh, sir. So thank you. I'm a pro-life millennial, and my question for you today is, if Roe v. Wade is ultimately overturned in the future, what protections would be put in place or kept for where the mother's life is in jeopardy in relation to high-risk pregnancies? Well, again, I'm not ruling on this, and Roe v. Wade is something that a lot of people would say, obviously, you're going to speak to somebody. I, I also, two other great justices, Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh. I never spoke to them about Roe v. Wade. I never spoke to them about election laws. I never spoke to them about anything. And I've done the right thing from a moral standpoint. I don't even know from a legal standpoint, but it was the right thing. Uh, I think, depending on what happens with Roe v. Wade, I think that perhaps it could get sent down to the states and the states would decide. I also think perhaps nothing will happen uh, I have not talked to her about it. I think it would be inappropriate to talk to her about it. And some people would say you can talk to her about it. I just think it would be inappropriate. But what is your preference? Because it, it agreed that's not something you should talk to the judge about. But would you like to see Roe versus Wade overturned? I would, I would like to see a brilliant jurist, a brilliant person who has done this uh, in great depth and has actually uh, skirted this issue for a long time make a decision. And that's why I chose her. I think that she's going to make a great decision. I did not tell her what decision to make. And I think it would be inappropriate to say right now, because I don't want to do anything to influence her. I want her to get approved. And then I want her to go by the law. And I know she's going to make a great decision for our country. The new running as a pro-life Republican. Most pro-life Republicans would like to see Roe v. Wade overturned and abortion banned. Many of them would. would Perhaps you most of them would. I am telling you, I don't want to do anything to influence anything right now. I don't want to go out tomorrow and say, oh, he's trying to give her a signal because I didn't speak to her about it. I've done the right thing in so doing. Uh, how she's going to rule, you're going to find out perhaps, or you might not find out. I mean, it may never get there. It may never get there. It may never get there. Infanticides. That, that is what we need to address. Infanticide. Infanticide. So he's making it clear to you where he sits. He's making it clear to you that it's imperative she's there. Infanticide is a really big deal right now because of the death panels. We'll see what happens. All right. We have another question. This is Cindy Velez. She is undecided. She says she's leaning to Biden and she did vote for Clinton in 2016. She's registered as a Democrat. Hi, Cindy. What's your question? Good evening, Savannah. Hi, Good Thank evening, you. Mr. President. Thank you very much. As the mother of a young male of color, 
I have reason to respect authority, not only because it's the right thing to do, but also out of fear that he may face profiling or be considered a criminal. As an educator, I've also had similar conversations with my high school students. Mr. President, what will you and your administration do to better prepare our law enforcement officers to work in collaboration with the communities that they serve and also to protect the lives of innocent Black and Latinos from police brutality and injustice? Right. I fully understand the question. And uh, I saw everything that you saw over the summer, and it was a terrible thing, a terrible thing to watch. Uh, we. Uh, we're very strongly, we have a, a senator named Tim Scott from South Carolina. He came up with a bill that should have been approved. It was great. It was a bill that was strong in terms of law enforcement and strong in terms of enforcing the proper thing and doing the proper thing by law enforcement. And the Democrats just wouldn't go for it. They wouldn't go for it at all. And I don't know why, because it was a really great bill. But I do have to say this. And some people don't like it when I say it, but a lot of people agree. I have done more for the African-American community than any president with the exception of Abraham Lincoln. Criminal justice reform, prison reform, historically black colleges and universities. I got them funded. They were on a year to year basis. They could have been put out of business. As soon as our country had a little bad year, they would have said, I'm sorry, we're not going to fund you. I got them 10 year funding and financing and more than I even asked for. I became very friendly with a lot of the heads, but we've done more. And of course, opportunity zones, but criminal justice reform, everybody said it could, it could not be done. President Obama and Biden never even tried to do it. They never even tried, but I say that and I say it often, I'll say it loud and I'm very proud of it. And I have a great relationship because of what I've done with the African-American community. I'm very proud of it. Let's go to our Thank next you. question. We have Paulette Dale. She leans slightly to Biden. She voted for Clinton in 2016. She's registered as a Republican. Paulette, what's your question? Thank you. Good evening, Mr. President. Thank you, Thank you very much. I have to say you have a great smile. Thank you. Thank as, you. So, <laughs> does. You're so handsome She's voting you Trump. She's voting Trump. As the daughter of immigrants to the United States who fled Eastern Europe due to religious persecution. Right. Uh, the United States immigration policies are very personal for me. Right. Surveys show that most Americans and the majority of Republicans support the Dreamers program. So my question for you, Mr. President, is if you are elected to a second term, do you expect to pursue your previous efforts to cut the DACA program? Yeah. Why or why not? And the DACA, DACA is somewhat different than Dreamers. You understand that and you understand it better than anybody probably in this room. Where do you come from, by the way, originally? Where? My grandparents were from Russia and Poland. That's very good. Okay. So we are going to take care of DACA. We're going to take care of Dreamer. We, it's working right now. We're negotiating different aspects of immigration and immigration law. We've built now over 400 miles of border wall, southern border. Mexico's working very closely with us. We have the strongest border we've ever had. We want people to come into our country. They have to come in legally. But we are working very hard on the DACA program. And you will be, I think, very happy over the course of the next year. Thank you. Because I feel the same way as you do about it. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Thank you very Mr. much. Mr. President, in point of fact, the DACA program, there are under your administration, no new applicants are allowed. 
And in fact, the DACA yeah. recipients now have to renew every year as yeah. opposed to every two years. So in fact, the DACA program has been well, curtailed by your administration. Well, what happened is because of the pandemic, much changed on the immigration front. Uh, Mexico is heavily infected, as you know, and we've made it very, very difficult to come in because of the pandemic and other reasons and crime. But we have a very strong. So she wanted to 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 point him out as you're a liar. You don't want immigrants. Look at what you're doing, DACA. He's like, well, you know, they're infected, and um, so we got to protect our Americans. Well, like, why is she chiming in? I wanted you guys to see this because this is where she gets a list from the DNC of what responses she should give if he gives a specific response. And the lady that was leaning Biden, you know, she probably said that just so she can ask the question border right now and we have to keep it that way but we want people to come into our country but they have to come in through a merit system and they have to come in legally and people are very very happy with it you haven't heard any complaints about that but what happened is because of the pandemic we have to be extra cautious you have been promising this immigration bill since well at least july when you told my colleague on well, telemundo no, it was coming but nothing's come yet it's very happy that the fact is we got rid of catch and release, which is a disaster. You know, you catch somebody, they could be a murderer, they could be a rapist, and we're supposed to release them into our country. These are the laws that I inherited. We ended that program. Now, I think you're going to see something very, very good. The, the whole immigration, if you look at what's going on, people used to pour into our country, and especially during the pandemic. I think you'll be. I think even you, Savannah, will be very impressed. Sir, we have about thirty seconds sure. left. I think about people sitting out there tonight. There are some who love you. Some of them are sitting right around here, and some who will never vote for you. But there are people in the middle. There are people who aren't sure. That's right. There are people who want to know why they should give you a second chance and how you might improve in a second term. Thirty seconds. What would you say to them? Because I've done a great job. We had the strongest economy in the world. We closed it up. We are coming around the corner. The vaccines are coming out soon and our economy is strong. We are at a level with jobs like we've never been before. We've rebuilt our military. We've rebuilt our borders. We had no borders. We had no nothing. We've rebuilt so much. We've given you the greatest tax cut in the history of our country, greatest regulation cut, equally as important. And we created new levels of jobs that nobody thought was possible. And next year is going to be better than ever before. I got to leave it there. I got a, a wrap from the, the control room. Mr. President, thank you for your thank time. You. Thank you for listening thank to the voters' so questions. That concludes our town hall. We do want to thank the president again, as well as our audience in hot Miami and all of you watching at home. So let's just keep this in mind. This was a debate with Savannah, right? It was not a town hall where he gets to like speak freely. And for all those that are still on the fence and hate Trump, I want to remind you what a Biden America looks like. This is a movement. I'm telling you, they're not going to stop and they should not. These people are tearing up our lives. <laughs> Third straight night, Portland police declared a riot. The vast majority of the protests have been peaceful. Over the weekend, 59 officers injured and 47 people arrested. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announcing a proposal to cut a billion dollars from the New York City Police Department. We need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department.
be safe in Joe Biden's America. Yep, you will not be safe in Joe Biden's America. So let's start going down the rabbit hole. And to introduce you to this new rabbit hole, okay, I'm going to just start with a one minute, I think it's one minutes, one, one, one minutes. Oh, gosh, my speech today. It's Friday. It's the 16th. We're careful. I am thinking, let's see, which one do I go with first? Hmm. I'm thinking I should go with this one. So it's, it's five minutes. Um, and it's quite interesting. So I hope you're ready for this one. Inside the story with 60 minutes producers, Michael Ray and Oriana Zill de Granados. Ori, Michael, you were the lead producers on this week's 60 Minutes story about U.S. diplomats who say they were attacked by a mysterious weapon that left them with brain injuries. Mm -hmm. How long have you guys been reporting the story? I would say it's been about a year, maybe a little bit longer. We were attracted by the fact that this was a mystery uh, that hasn't been solved. And the people who were actually victimized here had never been heard from directly. Their voices were missing in the, in the story. So we, we set out to, to really talk to them. So tell me, how are you feeling right now? Um, I'm not feeling well, not at all. I'm nauseous, dizzy, I have a headache. My equilibrium is a bit off. Strong nausea and headache and Business. You have trouble retrieving words? I do. Yeah, significant trouble. So debilitating that it feels like your head is being split open. So debilitating that I couldn't sleep. I was thinking, what is wrong with me? Something's wrong. How did the story change for you once you heard it from the people who experienced it? It went from being a sort of James Bond spy thriller to being actual victims, people who were really hurt, children who were hurt. That's some of the reporting that was most interesting to us is we didn't realize how many children of diplomats were affected by this. You believe that someone in the room above you was using some kind of a weapon to attack your family in the hotel room below. I do. And that they specifically targeted your children in their beds. Yes, I do. And could there be a cause that none of us have even considered yet? Yes. Sure. Absolutely. You're reporting on something that's invisible. Were there moments where you had doubts about what you were hearing? Yeah. I mean, I, frankly, we've been doubting the story from day one. And that's part of our job. But on this story, with so many unknowns and so many questions unanswered, uh, and just the bizarre nature of what's happened here, it was a daily occurrence. So we've been incredibly careful to check everything we can and to try to be clear with the audience about what we don't know. What does the badge signify? This is my uh, diplomatic security service badge. And These are okay. State Department and Commerce Department officials. Put your hands on your hips mm -hmm. and close your eyes. And their stories are incredibly compelling. And their medical records are incredibly compelling. In your story, you refer to these people as victims. Is it possible that they're victims of their own imaginations. Has that been raised? 
So there was some reporting that was done that claimed that this was mass hysteria. There are a lot of elements here that just discount the idea of this being mass hysteria. A dog can't get sick because he thinks somebody else is getting sick. There were nonverbal children having symptoms as well who aren't going to look around and they're not susceptible to mass hysteria. You'd think. Children exactly. and dogs. Exactly. Uh, the State Department sponsored treatment at the University of Pennsylvania, and they were all there in and out for the same period of time. Our understanding is that in the, in the waiting room, they started calling each other themselves the tinfoil hat club. The tinfoil hat club. What's the meaning of it's, that? What's the it's, joke? It's the old trope of sort of the crazy guy who puts tinfoil on his head so the aliens can't beam you know, messages into his brain. It's a gallows humor. These folks are really trying to grapple with what they're dealing with. Everyone in your broadcast story says that they were attacked while they were serving in China. But you also spoke with people who were attacked in Cuba, um, including one woman who speaks on camera, and she's wearing a disguise. You have asked us not to use your name. Why is that? Uh, well, I mean, this isn't something that any of us really want to be known for. She is the first victim from Cuba, a diplomat, to go on camera to tell her story. There was a, an amazing pressure in my head, also pain, and it was uh, almost paralyzing for a moment. I don't know if that was... The way she describes the attack is very important because it's, it matches so closely to some of the other stories we've heard. And then you start... Yeah. It starts looking like a pattern. Yeah, correct. It, uh, there's definitely a pattern. You've been concerned about keeping your identity out of this. So I wonder, why did you sit down to speak with us at all? I really want our story to be told. I want America to know what happened to their diplomats serving overseas. And I want people who were injured in these events to come forward if they haven't come forward before, because treatment does help with the symptoms and it's not something that you should have to live with and suffer through alone so it's important for everyone to to hear this so the reason that i am uh, you know sharing this with you because targeted individuals uh, there's actually a list of people that they target and how they do it Okay. And there's various ways they do it. Remember, we run on energy. Our neurons run on energy. Everything runs on energy. But aside from just that, and I'm only leaving that for now uh, because knowledge is power, um, we should remind ourselves of uh, Bill Binney speaking about the targeted individual program. Target, there's virtually nothing you can do. Oh, let me start that again. And here. So if you're a target, there's virtually nothing you can do. Intelligence communities or agencies of the, of the world are gaining too much influence over government, uh, how governments operate. Uh, and this is moving really to a, uh, to a Stasi state, basically. And it's not just the United States, it's countries all around the world. You have to be uh, aware that, that these agencies are, uh, are threatening what is fundamental to human rights everywhere. And you've got to ensure that you have some way of verifying and keeping these uh, agencies in line. And whatever it takes in law and whatever it takes technically to make that happen, 
these uh, governments around the world, all of them need to do. I mean, in fact, I don't think there's anything you could do to stop it. They're after you, they're going to get you one way or the other. I mean, there are so many, if they can't get it through the internet, through the tapping of the lines or anything like that, through a commercial means, and they're unsure about you, they can get it by close access means, uh, coming in and actually bugging your house or bugging your, uh, or putting monitors in your system, in your house or on your computer. They can use your computer video to look back at you or they can monitor um, within a certain distance the keystrokes you're making on your computer or what you're putting on your computer screen. And if that's not enough, they can come in through the firewall you think you have, but don't, and go through your operating system that think you think protects you, but doesn't, and read your uh, encrypted email that you thought was secure, but isn't. Or they can simply wait for you to do decrypts if you've done that, pull them off and use your unused CPU while you're on the computer to drain it called active attack. So if you're a target, there's virtually nothing you can do. And if they fail in their electronic wings, they can always send the FBI at you to do a sneak and peek and take your photograph or do whatever they want. As they have done with us, by the way. So why should people resist? I, I personally don't. I get out there right in their face and say to them what I think of them and what I, what I believe they're doing from all the material I've got from the Snowden releases and everything else. So, I mean, in, in fact, uh, after I started doing that, uh, Director Clapper came out and said no former or current employees of the intelligence communities are permitted to, uh, to discuss any of the Snowden material. If they do, there's going to be administrative action. I guess my, uh, <clears throat> my frustration is why I couldn't get through to government, uh, members of government in the House, Senate, or in the, or in the judiciary, or, or in the administration, or in the... Uh, Inspector General's office or anywhere to actually start, start to realize what they were doing is stand up and say something against it. Open. So uh, this is very important. And uh, targeted individuals, like for me, I'm 100% sure that um, because, you know, just because they have means doesn't mean I don't have means, you know, sneak and peek. I'll explain to you what that is. That's where they come into your house when you're gone and they come in. Um, usually you realize that they do it because maybe your pets were trapped somewhere uh, because they had the door open and they didn't want them to run out. Um, and they'll take pictures of everything. They'll plant listening devices, audio, video, everywhere. And they will watch you 24-7 uh, when they can't find how you access certain things because they believe that the, there's going to be one point where you're going to do it. You're going to get on there. You're going to log on. You're going to send that message, do that drop, send that text, and they're going to find it. And, you know, obviously people like Binny or myself that know exactly how they operate, know exactly how to evade it. But the question here, right? The question here is to understand just how horrible this is. We saw this with Cheryl Atkinson's too, right? Every keystroke you type, they record every text. So every, you know, mind hack you do sending an email to fuck with someone to make your point go across, to just be angry, every inappropriate picture you send, they're watching. Now, 
you might say, well, no one's going to be watching me. Well, they're still collecting your data. Okay. But here's what we need to understand is targeted individuals are on a list. And as I mentioned before, the IRS, like the president has said many times, why are they constantly auditing poor people? It's to put them in their place. So they target you with different methods. So some, uh, you know, say that they have been uh, insulted with direct energy weapons um, of their own and, and, and more so of their own. So that way they can track and see what is more effective, what works, what does it cause. If you remember, and I said to listen carefully, and I didn't want to, you know, break this open, but I'd urge you to go back and listen to President Trump's first 15 minutes again that we had just listened. And I was looking at the chats. No one pointed it out. He said, well, when this happened 100 years ago, talking about the virus, you know, this was this they released it the same thing 100 years ago, he said. Again, pay attention. They still have the same methods that they've had many, many years ago in order to sequester and pen in the public. And William Binney has reached out to senators, congressmen, judges, and people within elected office, at least, that are supposed to be our voice, to say, what we are doing is wrong. Can you not see this is wrong? This isn't liberty. These are invisible chains. When does this stop? When does it end? You're chipped or monitored no matter what you do. When does it end? That's a question you should ask yourself. All these people that are sitting in office know that what he is saying is correct. I'm telling you what he is saying is correct. Sneak and peeks. You want to you wanna hear an example of a sneak and peek? So a guy uh, who was a CIA agent, a handler actually, was a Chinese American. He retired from the CIA, left, went to China, did some stuff. You know, you know what that means, right? He was the eyes and ears of this government, but he had insurance with him. So he flies in years ago. I, I think I wrote about it on Big League. Uh, you'll see uh, the affidavit from Kelly O'Brien, who nobody talks about in the FBI, which is really important that people do, because that's one of your rank and files that's a big problem. She sits there and she writes out how they did a sneak and peek with no warrant or just because they can at a hotel that he went to with his family. And all they did was go in there and take pictures of everything, everything, right? Everything. And so they take pictures of every single thing, papers, you know, photographs. And you'll see that she said that she did this. She said that she did this. Then he flew to the United States where he went to Virginia. And again, while he and his family were away, they enter the premises and take pictures to see if anything was left behind or anything. That's where they found his little black book, per se, that had names and locations and real identities of assets of, uh, you know, the uh, intelligence community and contractors around the world. But they didn't arrest him for having that, right? They just took pictures of it. So, the, you know, obviously he was arrested in 2018 when he arrived in January. And I think he was, he was arrested because he was going to tell President Trump what's up. I'm, 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 I really think because he was a good bona fide guy. And he's sitting in Leavenworth right now. 
Um, and he was arrested at New, uh, JFK Airport in January of uh, 2018, Agent Lee. So um, this is a real thing. You know, when people say, oh, they used a dart gun to kill him and stop his heart. Hello, your heart works on an individual electric current. <laughs> when they want to wake it up, what do they do? They use electric current. Do you find that so far-fetched? Does it sound crazy to you? Doesn't. And don't they need a warrant? Isn't this unconstitutional? Yes, it's totally unconstitutional, but they don't care. And, you know, whenever it's anticipated by most people um, that um, they're going to do a sneak and peek, <laughs> they make sure that their house is the messiest it can be so it could just piss them off. You know what I mean? Because then they can't find shit. And that's usually a message saying, I know. So that's what's up. So they follow, they watch, they peek. And this isn't only to targeted individuals are different classes of targeted individuals. Okay. There's the, uh, the poor ones that are, uh, that make an income of under a hundred thousand, uh, that are, you know, obviously defiant to be, um, subjects, uh, that, um, you know, don't, that they want to just put, you know, in their place because they may have said something or something like that, you know, that irritated them, or maybe they spoke to someone. Then you have the really, um, upper middle class that they want to put in check, uh, that may or may not fund some certain or donate to some person, you know, this is what they do. And then they have just people that are their targets because they're making waves. So that could be a tweet of yours that might go viral. Kind of like the way they target anybody that President Trump's retweets, they get banned, right? Target, targeted individuals. This happens all the time. How they target you and up to how many tools they're going to use is up to them. So the question here that all of us, because I, I say this again and again and again, after these elections are done and President Trump is in office, this is where we need to get to work. Every single state should be grabbing their state legislators, state senators by the hair, pulling their ears and saying, we're going to make a legislation that says you're never going to mandate a vaccine ever. And if anything is mandatory ever, the person that gives it to me better be held accountable 100% if there's any in injury. This is where the work starts. We've got four years of work to do. Another one is where we're going to lobby to disallow such operations to exist, to disallow. Remember, the Russia hoax, right, which was all fake, covered up what? Their targeted individual program. They used NSA over collection, sneak and peeks, right? Illegal wiretapping, bugging. I mean, <laughs> You know, President Trump had to bring the plumbers into the White House, so he went to New Jersey, if you remember. And all of these invisible weapons, we need transparency. And this is key. So I'm bringing this to your attention only to, set, you know, put in the seeds of you thinking this weekend, especially because yesterday came out like a bang. It's another 48 hours. You know, we got to, you know, be patient because things are changing. Tomorrow, it'll be 17 days away from President Trump becoming president again and the 17th of October. Openly. Um, 
that was kind of the very frustrating part because you thought these people who took the same oath of office that I did would would actually do that, and they, you also thought that they would value the principles uh, in the in the Constitution and what they stood for in terms of human rights and human freedom. Um, but they don't apparently uh, care for that. I mean, it's more more becomes an, is, uh, an issue of money, control, and power, and it's not a question of human rights anymore. So that's been the most frustrating part for me. Uh, I'm disappointed uh, in that. I'm I'm really more disappointed in the American public that they aren't more uh, irritated. I mean, they're starting to get there, but it's taking a long time. They 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 aren't. I guess not too many remember history, or not too many uh, think of history. Well, I can understand the fact that we haven't had a, a totalitarian ruler here since uh, George the Third, so about 240 years. Whereas the Germans, you know, the Germans are really sensitive to this stuff. Why? Because they've got living memory of people who used to live under the Stasi or people who used to live under, still some of them, under the Gestapo and the SS. They know per firsthand what a totalitarian state is like to live under. Our government could not just have a general writ like the FISA court ordered with the Verizon uh, transfer of data on 110 million plus U.S. citizens without being named or given probable cause. Or anything else that was a general writ by, written by our FISA court that should be called into court by themselves and individually explain why they did that and why what was the reason for it and their justification to do it they need their day in court instead of doing everything in secret they never come out and tell anybody what they're really doing or what the real understanding or secret interpretation is that's because they're too afraid they're, they're cowards they're hiding behind uh, uh, a secret interpretation uh, applied with a secret court in secret by a secret government. What does that tell you, though? Are we free? Do we have liberty when we have courts like the FISA court that now the Republicans want to reinstate and fix it? Right. Are we really free if there's no transparency and we know if in what they're doing? Because I'll tell you what, this FISA court, like I told you, and I'm going to repeat it again and again and again and again, because nobody else is repeating this. And that's what pisses me off the most is that you're supposed to be conservative. You're supposed to be out there giving the people the truth. Well, here's the fucking truth. Judge Collier knew that they had targeted President Trump, his family, and everyone in his orbit. They put him on a list. The DOD has this fucking list, too. I'll tell you what. She knew about it. And she sat there in September and said, look, man, you know, you guys are doing this. You got to, you know, explain yourselves when she already knew what they were doing. And then a couple of weeks later, she signed off on Carter Page's FISA warrant when she had already known how they were collecting things and why they were collecting things and what they were intending to do. And yet this bitch sat on the bench until March 8th, 2020. Are you kidding? She's supposed to be there. So shit like this doesn't happen. You know, I've seen some crazy stuff. You have no idea. And when Bill Binney tells you these people are doing everything under cloak and dagger, don't care that they're violating every single letter, every space between the letter in that constitution. It is a fact. And they are continuing to do it. They need their day in court instead of doing everything in secret. NSA spying. How many laws are they breaking every day by doing this to us? 
Well, I mean, if you don't count the uh, unconstitutional laws they passed to try to make it legal, then they're violating the pen register law uh, for the for a total of at least 280 million records a day. I mean, person a day. So the pen register on 280 million plus people every day is being violated. Uh, and you can argue the same for the 150 million or so of people who are on the internet. Um, then you can also say the Electronic Privacy Act is being violated, the Electronic Security Act, uh, all the FISA regulations that were governing uh, uh, telecommunications companies and uh, any communications company, and all the laws that were behind all of that, plus, of course, all the constitutional amendments, first, fourth, and fifth, at least. So, um, and I'm sure if you looked around, there could be any number of others they're doing too, including cover-up laws, cover-upping, for cover-upping, covering crimes up and uh, doing that any number of times, day after day after day. You don't let them just add a name uh, to a watch list or to kill list or anything else without knowing why they're there and who put them there. So that if there's any question at all, you have the way and means to get back to the original input source and challenge in one form or another any of the reasons why they put them there. Uh, that's a way of checking and balancing and reviewing and ensuring that the list you have was correct and at least uh, reasonably based. So in other words, he says, listen, you want to watch list people? You want to, you know, watch them because you think they're terrorists or that they're going to destroy your nation? All right, then there should be transparency. Who put them on that list? And we need to check. Yet that list mostly includes every single American right now. And even though uh, Bill Binney, um, you know, said, well, it's this law, that law, I'm telling you, they're violating every single freaking law out there now. Now, here's another 60 Minutes clip, must watch, must watch. It's called Brain Hacking. I want you guys to see it. You're going to be like, Tori, this is freaking us out. It's okay, because now you're going to understand how this is all changing, though, because this is the state of our nation right now. Have you ever wondered if all those people you see staring intently at their smartphones nearly everywhere and at all times are addicted to them? According to a former Google product manager you're about to hear from, Silicon Valley is engineering your phone, apps, and social media to get you hooked. He's one of the few tech insiders to publicly acknowledge that the companies responsible for programming your phones are working hard to get you and your family to feel the need to check in constantly. Some programmers call it brain hacking, and the tech world would probably prefer you didn't hear about it. But Tristan Harris openly questions the long-term consequences of it all, and we think it's worth putting down your phone to listen. This thing is a slot machine. How is that a slot machine? Well, every time I check my phone, I'm playing the slot machine to see what did I get. This is one way to um, hijack people's minds, create a habit, to form a habit. What you do is you make it so when someone pulls a lever, sometimes they get a reward, an exciting reward. And it turns out that this design technique can be embedded inside of all these products. So the rewards Harris is talking about are a big part of what makes smartphones so appealing. The chance of getting likes on Facebook and Instagram, cute emojis and text messages, and new followers on Twitter. There's a whole playbook of techniques that get used to get you using for the product for as long as possible. Yeah, what, what are what kind of techniques are used? So Snapchat's the most popular uh, messaging service for teenagers, and they invented this feature called streaks, 
which shows the number of days in a row that you've sent a message back and forth with someone. So now you can say, well, what's the big deal here? Well, the problem is that kids feel like, well, now I don't want to lose my streak. But it turns out that kids actually, when they go on vacation, are so stressed about their streak that they actually give their password to like five other kids to keep their streaks going on their behalf. And so you could ask, when, when these features are being designed, are they designed to most help people live their life? Or are they being designed because they're best at hooking people into using the product? Is, is Silicon Valley programming apps or are they programming people? Inadvertently, whether they want to or not, they're shaping the thoughts and feelings and actions of, of people. They are programming people. They, there's always this narrative that technology is neutral and it's up to us to choose how we use it. This is just not true. Technology is not neutral. It's not neutral. They want you to use it in particular ways and for long periods of time, because that's how they make their money. It's rare for a tech insider to be so blunt. But Tristan Harris believes someone needs to be. A few years ago, he was living the Silicon Valley dream. He dropped out of a master's program at Stanford University to start a software company. Four years later, Google bought him out and hired him as a product manager. It was while working there, he started to feel overwhelmed. Honestly, I was just bombarded in email and calendar invitations and just the overload of what it's like to work a place like Google. And I was asking, when is all of this adding up to like an actual benefit to my life? And I ended up making this presentation. It was kind of a manifesto. And it basically said, you know, look, never before in history have a handful of people at a handful of technology companies shaped how a billion people think and feel every day with the choices they make about these screens. His 144-page presentation argued that the constant distractions of apps and emails are weakening our relationships to each other and destroying our kids' ability to focus. It was widely read inside Google and caught the eye of one of the founders, Larry Page. But Harris told us it didn't lead to any changes, and after three years, he quit. And it's not because anyone is evil or has bad intentions. It's because the game is getting attention at all costs. And the problem is it becomes this race to the bottom of the brainstem, where if I go lower on the brainstem to get you, you know, using my product, I win, but it doesn't end up in the world we want to live in. We don't end up feeling good about how we're using all this stuff. You, you call this a race to the bottom of the brainstem. It's a race to the most primitive emotions we have, fear, anxiety, loneliness, yeah. all these things. Absolutely. And that, that's, again, because in the race for attention, I have to do whatever works. It absolutely wants one thing, which is your attention. Now he travels the country trying to convince programmers and anyone else who will listen that the business model of tech companies needs to change. He wants products designed to make the best use of our time, not just grab our attention. Do you think parents understand the, the complexities of what their kids are dealing with when they're dealing with their, their phone, dealing with apps and social media? No, and I think this is really important um, because there's a narrative that, oh, I guess they're just doing this like we used to gossip on the phone. But what this misses is that your telephone in the 1970s didn't have a thousand engineers on the other side of the telephone who were redesigning it to work with other telephones and then updating the way your telephone worked every day to be more and more persuasive. That was not true in the 1970s. How many Silicon Valley insiders are there speaking out like you are? Not that many. We reached out to the biggest tech firms, but none would speak on the record. And some didn't even return our phone call. Most tech companies say their priority is improving user experience, something they call engagement. 
but they remain secretive about what they do to keep people glued to their screens. So we went to Venice, California, where the bodybuilders on the beach are being muscled out by small companies that specialize in what Ramsey Brown calls brain hacking. A computer programmer who now understands how the brain works knows how to write code that will get the brain to do certain things. Yes, it is. Ramsey Brown studied neuroscience before co-founding Dopamine Labs, a startup crammed into a garage. The company is named after the dopamine molecule in our brains that aids in the creation of desire and pleasure. Brown and his colleagues write computer code for apps used by fitness companies and financial firms. The programs are designed to provoke a neurological response. You're trying to figure out how to get people coming back. To when should screen. I make you feel a little extra awesome to get you to come back into the app longer? The computer code he creates finds the best moments to give you one of those rewards, which have no actual value. But Brown says trigger your brain to make you want more. For example, on Instagram, he told us sometimes those likes come in a sudden rush. They're holding some of them back for you to let you know later in a big burst. Like, hey... Here's the 30 likes we didn't mention from a little while ago. So the, all of a sudden why you get a big moment? burst of likes. Yeah, but why that moment? There's some algorithm somewhere that predicted, hey, for this user right now, who's experimental subject 79B3 in experiment 231, we think we can see an improvement in his behavior if you give it to him in this, bit, in this burst instead of that burst. When Brown says experiments, he's talking generally about the millions of computer calculations being used every moment by his company and others to constantly tweak your online experience and make you come back for more. You're a part of a controlled set of experiments that are happening in real time across you and millions of other people. We're guinea pigs. You're guinea pigs. You're guinea pigs in the box, pushing the button and sometimes getting the likes. <laughs> and they're doing this to keep you in there. The longer we look at our screens, the more data companies collect about us and the more ads we see. Ad spending on social media has doubled in just two years to more than $31 billion. You don't pay for Facebook. Advertisers pay for Facebook. You get to use it for free because your eyeballs are what's being sold there. So That's an interesting way to look at that, that you're not the customer for Facebook. You're not the customer. You don't sign a check to Facebook, but Coca-Cola does. Brown says there's a reason texts and Facebook use a continuous scroll because it's a proven way to keep you searching longer. You spend half your time on Facebook just scrolling to find one good piece worth looking at. It's happening because they are engineered to become addictive. You're almost saying like there's an addiction code. Yeah, that is the case. The, since we've figured out, to some extent, how these pieces of the brain that handle addiction are working, people have figured out how to juice them further and how to bake that information into apps. Dinner table could be a technology-free zone. While Brown is tapping to the power of dopamine, psychologist Larry Rosen and his team at California State University, Dominguez Hills, are researching the effect technology has on our anxiety levels. We're looking at the impact of technology through the brain. Rosen told us, when you put your phone down, your brain signals your adrenal gland to produce a burst of a hormone called cortisol, which has an evolutionary purpose. Cortisol triggers a fight or flight response to danger. How does cortisol relate to a mobile device, a phone? What we find is the typical person checks their phone every 15 minutes or less, and half of the time they check their phone, there's no alert, no notification. It's coming from inside their head telling them, gee, I haven't checked in Facebook in a while. I haven't checked on this Twitter feed for a while. I wonder if somebody commented on my Instagram post. That then generates cortisol and it starts to make you anxious. And eventually your goal is to get rid of that anxiety. So you check in. 
So the same hormone that made primitive man anxious and hyper-aware of his surroundings to keep him from being eaten by lions is today compelling Rosen students and all of us to continually peek at our phones to relieve our anxiety. When you put the phone down, you don't shut off your brain. You just put the phone down. Can I be honest with you right now? I haven't paid attention to what you're saying because I just realized my phone is right down by my right foot and I haven't checked it in like 10 minutes. And it and makes you anxious. I'm a little anxious. Yes. Now, let me talk to you about cortisol quickly so you understand because people like me don't exist. And when I say that, I mean it um, in the sense that no one ever would come out and tell you and show you. And, you know, I've got another eight years left doing this uh, because this is how much time we need. <laughs> 11 years. This is three years. I've got eight more. Um, what you need to understand is if you can... I'll share a personal experience. So when I was uh, um, getting sick, I um, was uh, I went to um, the hospital. I was being, you know, I was running a lot of tests, you know, and it was easier, obviously, because most of the professors were my doctors, too. And um, it was a stressful time. It was, you know, Benghazi happened. Um, all of this stuff was happening and I had to do a million things at once. Now, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm the type of person that if I have to do something, I will start it five minutes before it's due. Okay. I thrive on pressure. I thrive on pressure. And that's when I'm most quickest on my feet too. If I, if I'm under pressure, but I noticed that, you know, the test that I was running, they had me like, I don't know if you guys have ever had this, but they had me like pee in a jug and keep it in the fridge, which was, you know, I just kept, I, I had put like this big, do not, this is not apple juice. Do not touch, you know, or anything. Um, because my cortisol levels were extremely high and it was during a period of time where this whole, um, general Flynn stuff was happening. And it was very stressful for me because I had to be very, very careful. I had um, school, kids, work, and, you know, flying around um, constantly. So my cortisol, like the 24-hour cortisol level I had was so high that they thought I had a tumor <laughs> to create that much cortisol. And um, cortisol, so, so that you know, through my studies that I learned, and a lot of other people have uh, come to this too, is um, it is one of the major reasons people get sick. So if you get fat, it's because of cortisol. If you get cancer, and you could be you could be one of these people that run and have the really bad toes because you're a runner. You could go vegan. You could be drinking spirulina twenty five times a day, the whole nine yards, right? But you'll get cancer. And you're just like, but I'm doing everything right. And, you know, I'm looking after my body. It's the cortisol that interrupts the signaling system of the mitochondria, your batteries. It's actually kind of like a, a staller. Think of it. Um, and, and I saw this through the chemical signaling pathways. Like I, I you know, honestly, if I had the time and if I had the ability, because my mission was my country. Um, and me going to school was facilitating my ability to find out what's going on for my country. I've always been serving in every capacity, every waking moment, 
because once we understand that liberty and knowledge go hand in hand, you'll understand why the perpetual student per se, but cortisol was found to interrupt, you know, through the signaling, cell signaling pathways, the actual mitochondria's ability to stop creating the energy to reproduce cells. And it also affects, well, it creates a great environment for um, uh, tumors to vascularize. So it upregulates a specific, uh, you know, receptor signaling pathway that increases vascularization. So cortisol is a very big deal. It causes stress. Yeah, it makes you freak out. You start to get anxious. But that also affects your body too because it pulls out from the resources. Kind of like how they say you can't run and do math. That's because most of your blood is going to your muscles and not to your brain. Well, when you're under stress, it pulls vital, you know, important nutrients and uh, molecules like cl chlorine and, and uh, calcium. I'm just naming random ones, right? That are required for cell signaling. They're pulled to respond to that stress, to whatever area. So, um, you have to understand that being high on cortisol, the fact that they're, th this is why fear porn works. Uh, you're scared, you're creating cortisol, so you're not having your critical thinking cap on. Uh, I, I want to um, make that clear, okay? Um, the fact that they're telling you in this segment that they're doing this to you is them getting your permission because you have done nothing to demand that this isn't happening, okay? We found out just how anxious in this experiment conducted by Rosen's research colleague, Nancy Cheever. So the first thing I'm gonna do is apply these electrodes to your fingers. While I watched a video, a computer tracked minute changes in my heart rate and perspiration. What I didn't know was that Cheever was sending text messages to my phone, which was just out of reach. Every time a text notification went off, the blue line spiked indicating anxiety caused in part by the release of cortisol. Oh, that one is, yeah, that's a huge spike right that's there. Right here. And if you can imagine what that's doing to your body, mm. every time you get a text message, you, you probably can't even feel it, right? right. Because it's, it's such a, um, it's a small amount of, of arousal. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Their research suggests our phones are keeping us in a continual state of anxiety, in which the only antidote is the phone. Is it known what the impact of all this technology use is? Absolutely not. It's we're all too part soon. Of this, we're all part of this big experiment. What is this doing to a young mind, a teenager? Well, there's some projects going on where they're, they're actually scanning teenagers' brains over a 20-year period and looking to see what kind of changes they're finding. The story will continue after this. Here's the reality. Corporations and creators of content have, since the beginning of time, wanted to make their content as engaging as possible. Gabe Zickerman has worked with dozens of companies, including Apple and CBS, to make their online products more irresistible. He's best known in Silicon Valley for his expertise in something called gamification, using techniques from video games to insert fun and competition into almost everything on your smartphone. So one of the interesting things about gamification and other engaging technologies is at the same time as we can argue that the neuroscience is being used to create dependent behavior, those same techniques are being used to get people to work out, you know, using their Fitbit. So 
all of these technologies, all of the techniques for engagement can be used for good or can be used for bad. Zickerman is now working on software called Onward, designed to break users' bad habits. It'll track a person's activity and can recommend they do something else when they're spending too much time online. I think creators have to be liberated to make their content as good as possible. They sh they the, idea that, the idea that a tech company is not going to try to make their product as persuasive, as engaging as possible, you're just saying that's, that's not going to happen. Asking tech companies, asking content creators to be less good at what they do feels like a ridiculous ask. It feels impossible. And also, it's very anti-capitalistic. This isn't the system that we live in. Ramsey Brown and his garage startup Dopamine Labs made a habit-breaking app as well. It's called Space and it creates a 12-second delay, what Brown calls a moment of zen before any social media app launches. In January, he tried to convince Apple to sell it in their app store. And they rejected it from the app store because they told us any app that would encourage people to use other apps or their iPhone less was unacceptable for distribution in the app store. They actually said that to you? They said that to us. They did not want us to give out this thing that was going to make people less stuck on their phones. But they do have their own. If you notice, iPhones, Google phones, Android phones have these um, now health apps because then they can track uh, how much you're craving to pause. Now, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm just going to put it like this. For whatever happens between now and tomorrow, uh, you know, yesterday was exactly what we said is pull the plug, you know, and reboot it with America first. And that happened. You know, Twitter ate a freaking huge slice of humble pie. What you have to understand is how to use your technology. Uh, my fat ass is always sitting on a chair in front of a computer with 100 million screens. But when I get up off my computer, uh, my phone is also gone. The only time I will check my phone is if I'm bored uh, sitting in a car because my kid popped out to get something or if I'm sitting in a waiting room, I'll pop on. But I don't have Twitter on my phone because, you know, my device is banned. But that's the only time that I'll get on there and I'll use Telegram. I'll read articles. I'll listen to something. Right. But we are addicted to our technology. We want to be plugged in because there's so much happening. And now with this awakening, you are realizing how much catch up you have to do and how plugged in you have to do. I have to be. So, for example, if I've been away from my Twitter, like today, um, once I'm done with my show, I'm going to download it. Um, I'm going to um, set it up. I'm going to throw it on Rumble and YouTube if YouTube allows it because they keep <laughs> slamming me for things. But I'm going to put it on there. Um, and that's it. I'm going to go hang out with my child. I'm probably going to go pick up some groceries um, and turn off, obviously, when I'm in the car or, you know, sitting down for five minutes, I can't help it. And I'll look at my telegram. But in the evening, what I do is I turn off notification. There are do not disturbs. You should do that. So if you're the type of person that sleeps with your phone, I would highly suggest put the do not disturb. So that way you don't get interrupted with ding, ding, ding in the middle of the night. Um, you know, use those features. Now, Unfortunately, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say stay off technology because uh, that's not 
2020. 2020 is you being plugged in all the time. Uh, so consider it for those of you that are retired and you're researching and you're just hanging out on the internet, consider it like a job for yourself. Or those of you that are taking advantage of Rosetta Stone's $200 unlimited learn any language you want. Yeah, I saw that advertisement today and I'm like, mm, I did always want to like get that Russian done. But for those of you that sit down and do it, Telegram has a desktop app, right? So sit on your computer and do it, um, you know, and, and, and try to, you know, separate. Why am I saying this? I'm not trying to educate on uh, tech health because I'm the worst one to say it. It's like, girl, you're preaching, not <laughs> you're preaching stuff you're not doing. The reason I say this is this is how they're going to take over. Um, the narrative. November 3rd or the elections, November 5th is going to be insane. So unfortunately, digital media has infected us. Um, not infected, it's part of us. I, I did a whole show in 2019, January of 2019, about AI in China and how your AI profile is the most valuable asset you have. Not you in flesh and blood, with every single curve, hair out of place and everything, it's your AI profile. When something is free, like Facebook, like Twitter, nothing is free. You're the product. And so they use that to their advantage to pump you with information. It's important that I bring this up today, the whole mind hacking, the attacks, and the targeted individuals, so that you see what changes are starting to come to fruition. Because if you're not aware of the problem, then you can't be aware of the solution. And these solutions are going to be coming up in the next eight weeks. See, military industrial complex, everybody knew it was there. Some people that haven't even watched Shadowgate one were like, yeah, that's like totally old news. Is it though? If it was old news and there was nothing there, people wouldn't be pulling down their websites. We wouldn't be pulling troops out. There wouldn't be investigations. This whole Benghazi thing wouldn't be coming out because it was General Jones that assisted with that. Let's get that clear. You know, uh, the media wouldn't be so silent. There wouldn't be so much gang stalking. They're there, they're there, they're there. See, now the world's awake and they're like, wait a minute, we got names. We didn't even know these names existed. Like we knew about General Jones, but then he left. We don't know who he is. We don't know who Trachtenberg is. We don't know who Hayden was. We don't know who Kelly O'Brien of the FBI is. Why the fuck is she still in the FBI? You know, we didn't know that Judge Collier knew that they were using NSA tools, sneak and peek tactics on President Trump and everyone around him. <laughs> and she still signed the FISA warrant, right? Not, no, nobody knew. It was in documents, but nobody knew because they didn't want you to know because this is how they keep you asleep. Think about it. You're so piped up to tech, but you probably never saw that interview with Anderson Cooper. You probably never even saw that interview with Bill Binney. You probably never saw that interview with the diplomats from China and Cuba. You know, and someone said, oh, look, not much of a disguise. Dude, that's not a disguise. That's an actor pretending to be in disguise. That's how you do it. You see what I'm saying? So this is what is necessary. You need to see it. Uh, President Trump had retweeted uh, 
Reagan's great quote. If they can't see the light, make them feel the heat. So for me, I prefer, let me show you. Here's the curtain. Let's pull it back a little bit and let's take a trip down memory lane and see what's up. And so that way you can see the solutions that are coming forward, see in retrospect what was done and how it has evolved. These changes that you're about, that you can see now, changes, will now be more evident to you. Yesterday, I told you, we need to shut it down. You can't just do this. You can't block links. You can't do that. What happened? It was shut down completely shut down. And they didn't tell you it was a hack. They were just like, we don't know what's going on. But then they came up saying, oh, by the way, we're going to change our algorithms and stuff because it's really not fair. And in spirit of this, not nah, bitch, you knew what was happening. They were going to shut you down. And it's Friday. And I'm really hoping that we don't give them a pass. I really hope that we do shut it down because we need to shut it down. Maybe yesterday was them saying, damn, what, what the fuck? What if you file something. And then all weekend, we got nothing tomorrow, 17 days away from electing president Trump on the 17th of October. That would suck for them. Totally. YouTube did a huge purge, purged a lot of accounts, you know, and then there's like this big list of all these people that were purged. And then everyone's like, why isn't everybody else purged? Probably because everybody else has not had their channel long enough. And, you know, they haven't gone back enough. But I'm going to tell you what, while they were purging everyone, I'll tell you, for me, all shows from like October 3rd, from July of 2019 or 2018, whatever I had up there from 2018, November, uh, they're being hit with strikes and questions and removed. And I'm like, what the, they've been up there so long. Why are you removing it now? So, you know, don't, don't sit there and do that little catty bullshit that people are doing, which is, oh, this one didn't. And it's like, please stop. Now, most of them are upset, but here's the thing. You know, you have to learn how to use camouflage. This isn't a regular playground. This is the digital playground. And they know every move you're going to make. And what is it about viruses on computer systems that is the most dangerous? The fact that they can infect multiple platforms at once. So if you're everywhere, it's going to be really hard for them to follow you and shut you down everywhere. So for all of you, you know, whatever platforms you see, jump on. I mean, you could find me everywhere. I don't go to BitChute for specific reasons because they ban from there too, just so you know. And people will copyright strike you on there too. And that's a big deal when it goes through BitChute. Because you saw Ali Alexander's, you know, little project with his boyfriend Bostic that plan against the president movie, they've been copyright striking people and demanding that their videos be removed because, you know, they made that movie for profit, which was nothing but putting together old footage and interviewing people, which was weird. But um, you need to be more focused on how you can get access to your president than anything. So your president has a Twitch channel, register. Your president has Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Did you know that he has Snapchat? Yeah, he totally does. I get his snap sometimes. Um, follow it. You have to be everywhere. So that way you're not shut out. Because when this all comes down, 
you know, it's going to be, you know, you're going to be like, okay, where do I go? The whole media is saying this because a lot of you are invested in OANN and it's like, stop. They get advertising. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just saying. If your funding isn't 100% from the people, I don't trust you. I don't trust you because your message will be consistent and 100% when you're reliant on the people. You understand? When you have big corporations funding you and it's not people, then that's it. Kind of like right side broadcasting. They rely on the people. You know that, right? They rely on the people. They're everywhere and they rely on the people. You know, that's why I, I use their stuff all the time. Freaking love them too. But even Parler and Rumble, they're owned by right conservative investors that are owned by the same. You know, use Telegram, use Rumble, Gab. I love Gab. I don't use it often, but I love it. And I have it there because in the end, I'm just saying. Same thing with Parler. I have it. I love it. It's fine. But remember, where you put yourself, because if you overinvest yourself in one area, when that area gets taken out from under you, you don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. So, um, please, um, keep, see something, say something, right. And, um, follow rabbit. Now, and I'm not talking any rabbit. I'm talking the assistant attorney general, follow the rabbit. Um, he's doing a lot, uh, a lot. Um, one more thing, things are really heating up, uh, in the Eastern Mediterranean and, um, with this whole Turkey situation, I just wanted to say it is getting hotter by the minute. Uh, it was, um, it's, uh, it's going to get, it's going to get fucking Biden with this. Oh, how fitting of a day for Halloween. Imagine what they have up their sleeve, right? So on that note, guys, I want to leave you with this. If we're talking about it and we can analyze it and we can poke holes through it and we are dissecting it, that means we know about it. What, is, what, what does that tell you? If we know something, we can mitigate it. As I've said, if I know the future, I can mitigate my present to not have that outcome in the future. Make sense? So if we're talking about it, if we're understanding it, if we can see it, it's like you're walking down the street and you see a boulder rolling down the street you're walking down. Uh, you can see the boulder, so what do you do? You get the fuck out of the way. This is the same thing. If we're talking about it, it means we know about it. It means we know how to change it. And um, as you can see, the president has been um, pretty good at that lately. So I'm going to close with um, a song that I like after we watch one of my favorite President Trump um, ads. I am here as your president to proclaim before the country and before the world, this monument will never be desecrated. These heroes will never be defaced. Their legacy will never, ever be destroyed. Their achievements will never be forgotten. And Mount Rushmore will stand forever 
as an eternal tribute to our forefathers and to our freedom. We are the nation that gave rise to the Wright brothers, Harriet Tubman, George Patton, the great Louis Armstrong, Elvis Presley, Ella Fitzgerald. We settled the Wild West, won two world wars, landed American astronauts on the moon. Centuries from now, our legacy will be the cities we built, the champions we forged, the good that we did, and the monuments we created. America's destiny is in our sights. America's heroes are embedded in our hearts. America's future is in our hands. And ladies and gentlemen, the best is yet to come. Yes, the best is yet to come. But in this climate, I want you to remember the land of confusion, right? It's not that confusing if you step back on the moon and take a look. Once you know how the magician, you know, fits three balls in his thumb, right? it's not it's not a trick anymore. And you don't get, you know, taken for a ride. So the land of confusion is actually where we're at right now. And you have eyes that are open. So is it that confusing? I don't think so. I think it's okay. God bless everyone. I will see you Sunday. <laughs>